0: Ah, and we are live! Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to twitch.tv slash takes by fans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So however you want to watch or listen, we've got you covered multiple ways. Alrighty, Today's a big all Monday. We are officially all wrapped up with the first round of the NBA playoffs. So we'll be breaking down uh, the two playoff games, the first round of, or, or yeah, the first round game seven of Clippers and Mavericks, and then uh, round two of uh, game one of Hawks. 76ers. So we'll be breaking down all that action today on the show. Uh, getting our money maker for today's action. We've got two playoff games. We got Bucks Nets game two, and we got Nuggets Suns game one. Going to be absolutely fantastic. So we'll be previewing those matchups, doing the money maker for that, and then as always, covering the stories of the day. So let's just jump right into it. Here we go, folks. Well, it happened yesterday. Julio Jones is officially a Tennessee Titan. That was kind of our second-tier choice. We had the Rams going number one because we heard that strong arm. That strong arm, Matt Stafford. That strong arm right there. And then we saw, you know, the odds starting at plus 6,600 for the Titan for the Rams to acquire Julio Jones, and then it kind of jumped to plus 600. So we were like. Because Vegas knows something we don't. And we kind of jumped on that train at the end of the Julio Jones saga. But they ends up going to the Tennessee Titans. And now we have the official compensation here. And it's literally nothing. Nothing. So... The Falcons, they don't get that first round pick that they were truly after. Uh, He ends up, they ended up getting just a second round in the 2022 draft. So this year's draft coming up and then next year's draft, they get a fourth round pick as well. So not the compensation that they were truly looking for, but they just really, really wanted to free up that $15 million in cap space. And uh, the Titans were the only ones that were really willing to take on that contract. So the Titans, they give up a second round, a fourth round. That's nothing. I would give that up for Julio Jones as well. Proven talent on the field, folks. You have to get that, especially if it's not a top 10 pick. Any draft pick outside of the top 10 is honestly not that great, and I'm always going to take proven on-field talent over you know a potential bust. So the Falcons didn't get really anything there, and uh, you know the Titans didn't have to give up anything. So the Titans they get Julio Jones and they also get a sixth-round pick in the 2023 draft. So not, not it's something. I don't think it's it's not going to be great, but you never know. It's a, it's a shot. It's a shot to get something. So um, both teams kind of made out. Falcons lost that contract. Um, got. I'll, I'll, I Can we even call these decent picks? Can I call a, a fourth round pick in the 2023 draft? Can I even call that a decent pick? I don't think so. I, I guess the second round is all right, but... We know he's aging out of this league a little bit. 33, the hamstring injury. So, uh, you know, we'll see how the Titans use him. Obviously, you know, you losing Corey Davis, that 6'3 wide receiver, replacing it with Julio Jones, 6'4. Hopefully, he can kind of stay healthy. He's going to be used a lot. Ryan Tannehill is going to fall in love with Julio Jones, folks. I mean, when you got this great talent. Ryan Fitz, um, Ryan Tannehill has never played with, like, an A1 Tier 1 wide receiver. A.J. Brown has really been kind of emerging in this League. He's only two years in. Corey Davis, always kind of solid at 6'3", but no true superstar sure ballot Hall of Famer that uh, Ryan Tannehill was working with. So, maybe we get to see a jump in Ryan Tannehill's abilities and talents. How great would that be? Because we know he's right there. You know, he's above average, folks. I put him in kind of, you know, tier two quarterback status, Ryan Tannehill. So, we'll see if he can kind of reach tier one with a tier one wide receiver on the team. So, A nice kind of great offense here offensively (laughs) a great offense uh, for this Titans team and we'll see how they rock with Julio Jones so now we know where he is now we know the compensation so we can kind of start talking about you know everything that led up to this and let's start breaking everything down so what's what do we got next Alrighty, so we heard Julio Jones. Well, let's say this because... So, is this a good fit for Julio Jones? Would... Did Julio Jones want to go to the Titans? Because that was something that we were kind of keeping track of if... Arthur Blank for the Falcons, we're just going to kind of, you know, throw him aside. um, You know, throw Julio Jones aside and be like, you know, we really don't care where you want to go. We're going to make the best decision right for us. And we kind of heard that Julio Jones wanted to go to a playoff contender, a Super Bowl contender, and a quarterback with a big arm. Now, the Titans are definitely super or playoff contenders. It's going to be tough to still be Super Bowl contenders, especially in this kind of stacked AFC. I mean, we've got the Colts, we've got the Ravens, we've got the Chiefs, we've got the Titans, we've got the Bills. I mean, that's five great teams in the AFC, so it's still going to be hard for this Titans team to come out of the AFC, but they can still be competitive like they have been these last two seasons. So... Is this kind of a destination that kind of fulfilled what Julio Jones wants while also got getting what the Falcons wanted as well? Trying to get that first. Didn't seem like anybody was kind of takers on that. Um, and so they had to settle for that second round. So I really think Arthur Blank kind of did Julio Jones justice here. We're, we got you to the team that's playoff contenders. Ryan Tannehill. We're going to go to this story next. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill's got a pretty good arm. He, uh, you know, he kind of gets, you know, bashed because of those kind of miami Years with Adam Gase, but ever since he's been a Titan, he's really been getting it done. Solid work out there. Solid completion percentage. Yards are there. 3,800 yards last season. 65% completion percentage. Barely turns the ball over. Doesn't have those double digit interceptions here in Tennessee. So, I mean, yeah, this is a solid quarterback here. And now we get this kind of breakdown from PFF. Accuracy percentage on deep throws, and deep throws are 20-plus air yards in 2020. So, last year, Ryan Tannehill was number three with 49% accuracy on those deep balls. Guess where Matt Ryan was, folks? Number 18 at 39%. So, does Ryan Tannehill have the bigger arm than Matt Ryan? The stats are kind of saying so. So, It kind of seems like both teams got what they, or both kind of parties got what they wanted, and that's really what we were kind of rooting for in the end. We didn't want to see Julio Jones get kind of just tossed aside and Arthur Blank just be like, all right, thanks for your service. Now we kick you to the curb and you go to the Lions or some or the Jaguars. Could you imagine um, if Julio Jones was on those teams? It would, he would probably end up quitting football. He'd be like, "I'm not playing for Dan Campbell in Tim Tebow. That's not happening. I'm out. I'm retiring." So um, you know, Julio Jones goes to a good, strong-armed quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. That's got talent. That's going to be playoff contenders. And uh, you know, the Falcons they got a second-round pick. Offloaded that kind of heavy $15 million contract that uh, Julio Jones has. So it truly seems like Arthur Blank did Julio Jones justice by trading him to the Titans. And for that, we can definitely respect the heck out of that move. We know at the end of the day, it is a business and you don't have to kind of do right by your star players, your franchise players, your Hall of Fame players, your face of the franchise players. You don't have to do right by them. But it's always great to see that. You know, You know, we always root for that. We always root for both parties winning. Um, you know, it gets the media fired up. It gets social media fired up when, you know, you just get cast aside. So, for that, Arthur Blank, very well done. And we commend him for that. Fantastic. All righty, Julio Jones is already in Tennessee, baby. He's ready to work. Landing earlier this morning in a jet. Yes, sir. Look at this man, ready to work. Is he happy? We got any smiles? Seems all business. A he, uh, he, uh, little handshake there by a Titans personnel. And uh, they're off. So he's already there in Tennessee. We got mandatory minicaps coming up this week for a lot of these teams. So, you know, Julio Jones wanting to get that work in. Uh, he hasn't been, he hasn't really kind of had pra- team practice. He didn't go to the OTAs with Atlanta because why would you? He knew he was being traded. So, really ready to finally get that on field work in with his new team, learn the playbook, learn the chemistry, learn the head coaches, learn where he's going to fit in, and let's have this Titans offense ready to rock. You know, we're about 95, 95 days out for the NFL season, so Julio Jones is ready to work. We already saw him kind of working with Derrick Henry, so he already kind of already has that kind of foot in the door of chemistry with his new team. So, the seamless transition from Atlanta to Tennessee shouldn't be that, you know, big. Shouldn't it be that kind of long, in like a long process? It really should kind of fit in relatively early. He's an All-Pro. He's a Hall of Famer. He's done this before. He's ready to rock. So Julio Jones already in Tennessee, and I know their fans are loving it alrighty folks we're going on to this folks still talking about Julio Jones but now we get an actual kind of breakdown and that's what we wanted we knew you know after the trade we were like alright but what about some of these other stories that were coming out and why were the Patriots the favorites the entire time the entire time the opening odds had had Atlanta at minus 150 of keeping them and then after that it was just Patriots at plus 400 plus 450 always the favorite so we have a little bit more insight information here and hey you know uh, you know we're kind of you know emerging we're trying to make our presence known in the sports commentary world it's very crowded we know this but hey whenever we get validated whenever we get vindicated we gotta point it out baby so here we go notes on Julio Jones market According to Albert Breer. Alrighty, So let's talk about some of these scenarios. Baltimore, the Ravens, they talked to Atlanta before the draft, but went out after taking Bateman, that wide receiver. So they're like, all right, that's what you want. You want a first round pick? Well, we're just going to use our first round on a wide receiver. So no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Baltimore was out kind of instantly, and then this, this is what we are talking about. The New England Patriots and the Las Vegas Raiders never showed real interest, never showed real interest, and they were the favorites up front, folks, and we never bought that narrative. We never thought it was the right place. The Patriots really spent all their money um, in the offseason before the draft, shoring up their weapons every Bill Belichick never Overpays for a top tier wide receiver. He didn't do it with Tom Brady. He's Definitely not gonna be doing it doing it with Cam Newton and Cam Newton doesn't even have that big arm So we never bought that narrative. They were the favorites of betting plus 400 the entire time always had the best odds But they never showed real interest. So I'm glad that we never fell for that. And hopefully we steered you all away from that. If you if you bet this, hopefully you know our words, our words of advice, our words of wisdom, our kind of hammering it down every show, kind of avoided you uh, betting that you know that he was going to New England. So I absolutely love that. All four NFC West teams talked to Atlanta, but none made an official offer. So um, the Rams, the card, no, not the Cardinals, the Rams. The 49ers, the Seahawks, and the, yeah, Arizona Cardinals. Is that the last one in the NFC West? Why am I blanking on the NFC West? Yeah, Cardinals. It is the Cardinals. That's what I thought. All right, so all four of those teams had interest, but nobody made an official offer. We were kind of buying the Rams for a little bit. I wonder why that kind of spike in odds and betting went up. I would love to have more information on that because maybe they just were interested and then they heard, oh, first round pick. They're like, no, 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 we're not. Hang up the phone. We're not giving you a first round for a 33-year-old wide receiver that's coming off of, you know, hamstring injuries, you know, nagging hamstring injuries. We're not going to do that, so... And then Tennessee taking on Julio's contract was the key. They kind of, you know, had the money to do it. We know this period of time you can kind of, you know, split the contracts between this season 2021 and next season 2022. And we know the Titans had decent money available. Not a lot, but decent money available to take on that contract. So... Um, You know, it didn't seem like anybody was really interested in Julio Jones. And, you know, once again, you know, since we have, you know, the final outcome, we can go back on everything and kind of look at it. Him working out with Derrick Henry in the gym, that was kind of, you know, the, the main, that should have been the main focal point. That really should have put the Tennessee Titans as kind of favorites there, getting that actual video of him working out with somebody on the Titans, getting that work in. So, uh, you know, that kind of showed us right there. And I believe that came out on like May 24th, May 23rd, I think. Um, In that kind of, you know, when he wasn't traded after June 1st, that June 2nd date, after that date, that really also told us that he's not a first-round pick. Nobody's giving you a first-round pick. We talked about, you know, that the Falcons were having conversations before June 1st. They didn't have to wait till June 1st to start having discussions. So when he wasn't traded instantly, both teams, Atlanta, wanted to free up that money to start kind of, you know, shopping around and start bringing in these other free agents to shore up their team. Um, you know, people wanting or teams wanting to kind of get uh, Julio Jones on their team right now as soon as possible so we can make it, you know, potentially to the OTAs if they made it. Uh, but definitely buy these mandatory minicamps coming up. So, timing was also really everything. When he wasn't traded that kind of instant of June 2nd, we know we knew that there was no real kind of market of a first round pick being traded for Julio Jones. Couple of days went by. We just got it yesterday. Mandatory camp starting kind of really on Tuesday for a lot of teams. So, make the thing happen Sunday. Him going, getting to the team on Monday. Having that kind of full day to get prepped for the man mandatory minicamps that are starting this week so the timing and kind of the initial videos really just kind of told the entire story and now that we have everything we have the 2020 vision we can kind of go back and really kind of see oh yeah titans were kind of the real team and we knew that they weren't going to get a first round pick for that so Um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at with Julio Jones and everything. We got a couple more stories to talk about, but, um, yeah, New England was never interested. The Raiders were never interested. Baltimore really weren't real contenders, um, because they went out and got that wide receiver in the draft. The NFC West was like, all right yeah, we're not taking on that contract, and we're also not giving you a first-round pick. And then the Titans really seemed like the only team that was willing to take on that contract and give up a second-round pick to acquire Julio Jones. So Tennessee Titans, man, ended at plus 800 odds. You could have made, that's great, folks, that's great, <laughs> plus 800. That's kind of a surefire plus 800 as well. You never really see that too much. So um, if you made money on it, congratulations, and you could have made a lot of money. 100 bucks wins 800 You can do the math up from there. Alrighty, but <clears throat> once again, another kind of thing that maybe hindered this trade Julio Jones had, quote, no clue he was on TV when he made the comments that led to his trade request. Becoming public. Remember, we never really thought that Julio Jones was officially up for sale or officially requested a trade. Shannon Sharp calls him on Undisputed Live. Julio Jones didn't know he was on TV being kind of recorded and listened to live as he was talking to Shannon Sharp. And we heard, you know, Julio Jones say himself, you know, I'm out of here. So, you know, him saying that. And then the news comes out that, yeah, he actually requested a trade kind of, you know, a couple months ago. And it was kind of hush hush. And I wonder how much him actually saying that and confirming that really kind of hindered his actual trade kind of... um his trade value. Um, all these teams, you know, officially hearing, oh, he's up for trade and he doesn't want to be there anymore. Oh, okay. All right. So, you know, the Falcons kind of backs against the wall. We're not going to give you a first round pick for that. No way. No way. We know he doesn't want to be there. He's unhappy. So, yeah, you might kind of keep him for this year, but next year, can he opt out of his contract? Is he, you know, is he done with his contract next year? So we could just wait you out. Go ahead and eat that $15 million cap hit and we'll be here next year, you know, waiting for it again. So, you know, we're in no rush, so I wonder how, you know, that truly impacted his overall trade value. Could the Falcons gotten that first-round pick if Shannon Sharp never called him an undisputed? Maybe. Maybe not. But we'll never know. So, once again, just kind of this entire Julio Jones saga. Now that we know the final result and we're starting to get kind of these drips of information of what was actually going on behind the scenes, it's fantastic that we can kind of start connecting the dots back to what we've already been talking about. So... Julio Jones had no clue um, he was live on Undisputed. And now you know everybody, as soon as they see Shannon Sharp calling, you know they're just hitting ignore or going to voice memo or a voice message or be like, oh, it's it's uh, it's 9 a.m. Yeah, where's that on the West Coast? Where's that on the East Coast? Oh, oh, he's live the show. No, no, no. Decline, decline, decline. You're not getting me. You got Julio Jones. You're not going to get me this time. So Shannon Sharp, he's probably going to get a lot more kind of decline calls now because (laughs) Because of this uh, Julio Jones thing. (laughs) Alrighty, and now everybody is fired up on this Titans team. And man, oh man, this could be dangerous. This wide receiver duo could be dangerous. We know AJ Brown was great, but now we get this quote. Okay, Titans wide receiver AJ Brown, ecstatic about Julio Jones trade. Quote, it is going to raise my level of play. Oh my gosh. Raise your level of play, folks. He's going into his third season in his first two years. He's been a thousand-yard wide receiver, folks. He's been getting it done every single year in this league. So, I mean, if he's just going to elevate his play even more now, woof, and now he's gonna kind of be the number two, where he was kind of the number one, AJ Brown and Corey Davis, uh, you know, kind of AJ Brown, the number one there. But now when you have Julio Jones on your team, the, the number one corner is going to be guarding him, leaving the number two corner on AJ Brown, who's going to be able to get it done. So let's go into this article right here. Let's see how ecstatic AJ Brown is to have this man. So AJ Brown campaigned hard weeks on end for his Tennessee Titans to trade for Julio Jones on Sunday. His wish was granted when the Titans pulled the trigger on a blockbuster trade. Well, is that a blockbuster trade? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, hollow, a 33-year-old, you know, Hall of Fame wide receiver for a second-round pick. I don't know if you call that blockbuster. Okay, uh, maybe end of end of the line blockbuster. I'll give you that. <laughs> Before they went out of business, maybe. Um, all right um so when they pulled the trigger on a blockbuster trade with the Atlanta Falcons that brings the star wide out to Nashville quote this morning I looked at my phone and my daughter and my daughter was laying next to me and I kind of jumped out of bed and said, Is this really real I kind of woke up my daughter do- I kind of woke my daughter up. Uh, <laughs> I had to I had to calm down for a little bit when I got the news. It was kind of crazy. My phone started blowing up. I think this is really huge for t- for Tennessee, not just for me, but this is huge for the city, our team. We are glad to have them. All righty, good quote there. What else do we get? Anything else? That seemed to be it. Alrighty, so, you know, he's definitely going to be, you know, he's excited to have him. We kind of saw we, we, I think we read an Instagram message of AJ Brown kind of trying to recruit recruit Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans, and now we've got a great kind of wide receiver duo. I mean, this Titans wide receiver duo was always good for the last two years. I mean, we loved Corey Davis. He's very, very solid as well. Like, 900 yards last year, 6'3", that tall kind of deep threat as well. So, you know, is that an upgrade? Yes, a little bit of an upgrade. Corey Davis is a little bit younger, so you know in the long run I mean if Julio Jones can come in and win a ring instantly then yeah this was a good trade so only time will tell if this trade truly was great or not is Julio Jones that much of an upgrade of Corey Davis just as a wide receiver and is Julio Jones that much more of an upgrade for Ryan Tannehill so we'll kind of definitely keep Track on that. This is going to be a huge story A huge narrative throughout the entire NFL season and we'll definitely keep an eye on it But uh, A.J. Brown is ready to get to work and ready to get it done and ready to elevate his level of play as well So man oh man A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill's running ability It's all going to have to be covered on every single play and um, that's some talent right there Alrighty Niners coach Kyle Shanahan, who's coach Julio Jones, who got to a Super Bowl with the Falcons. He's very glad, quote, very glad Julio Jones landed in the AFC. Um, Quote, him not being in our division is a huge deal. And absolutely, you know, we kind of, you know, talked about it a little bit earlier. All four NFC West teams were interested, but none made an official offer. So Kyle Shanahan knows what Julio Jones can do. He's coached him. He's been on the inside of Julio Jones. And he's definitely glad, he just said it, very glad that he's not in the NFC. He's not in our division. He's in the AFC. So if we do have to see him, If, you know, unfortunately, gosh forbid, uh, Titans and the 49ers are in the Super Bowl, Kyle Shanahan doesn't have to kind of face him until that moment, until that moment. And then, you know, he knows the ins and outs. So, um, I don't see the 49ers and Titans getting to the Super Bowl. Our official prediction is the Rams and the Colts, which, you know, uh, those are in the divisions. (laughs) You know, the the Rams and the 49ers are in the division. The Colts and the Titans are all in the same division. So, you know, uh, we have two of those teams from those divisions we just don't have these specific teams. So, everybody is truly happy in the in the NFC West that uh, Julio Jones and no none of these teams really made an offer for him. Everyone's just kind of y'all interested. Y'all kind of interested you you're going to make a run at him? No. Yeah, neither are we. All right. All right, let's all make a mutual agreement that we're not bringing Julio Jones to the NFC West. So, Kyle Shanahan's excited and of course, why wouldn't he be? Um, I'm sure everybody else is excited as well. Just Kyle Kyle Shanahan has history with Julio Jones. So, you know, that's why we get the quote of him. And Now alrighty, what can Julio Jones do? What can this man do? So let's watch this. We got a nice little three-minute highlight clip of the top ten plays of Julio Jones I believe his entire career not just of last year So let's watch this and see what Julio Jones is bringing to this Titans team What can Ryan Ryan Tannehill expect from Julio Jones? So here we go Let's run the tape first play up week two of 2019 just a nice little Screen pass and look at that speed. Eagles can't keep up. He's out 50 yards. And once again, if he can kind of be good in this screen game, we know kind of the wide receiver screens are being becoming more prevalent in the NFL as the years kind of go on over the last kind of three years. And if he can still do this, we know he's fast. DK Metcalf level of speed, I would kind of put him a little equal. I think I'd give the kind of, you know, maybe an extra point to DK Metcalf just on the speed. But, you know, the wide receiver screens, having those nice, fast wide receivers, having Derrick Henry on a nice kind of, you know, read option with the kind of wide receiver screen, with Ryan Tannehill able to control the ball. So on a wide receiver screen, you could have like three options. Play action wide receiver screen. You got three wide receivers lined up to the left side. You got Derrick Henry on the left side of Ryan Tannehill. You fake it. You read option. All right, the run isn't there. I can give it to Julio Jones if that isn't there. Ryan Tannehill could also take off. So this wide receiver screen. Watch out for that to be heavy. Watch out for that to be prevalent in this Tennessee Titans offense coming up because we just saw right here, folks. We know he has the speed to do so. He has the catch ability to do so. And if these wide receivers can block as well as they can play for this Titans team, we're going to get this 50-yard run on a wide receiver screen that is truly nobody is even close to catching up for... Up to this man and it's a 50 yard touchdown so watch out for watch out for this that could be fantastic for the Titans alrighty 2012 week 12 going deep yes sir just running behind the defense 80 yard bomb no problem the separation is there and just look at the strength of Julio Jones yes we know he's fast but he's also 6'4 folks you cannot bring this man down easy just beats the uh, the defender of the Bucks there for the last 20 yards. Can't bring him down. 80-yard score. The deep ball. The deep ball. That's what Julio Jones wanted when he was talking about what team he wanted to go to. A, t- a, a, a quarterback with a strong arm so I can run underneath the ball. We read the stat earlier on the show. Ryan Tannehill, 49% completion on, uh, you know, Balls. In the air of 20-plus yards, Matt Ryan, number 18, not really even in the conversation. So upgrade at quarterback here, and uh, let's see Ryan Tannehill start letting it fly, letting it loose, opening it up with the wide receiver screen, getting the defense to play up a little bit, to push up a little bit. Then you hit him with the deep ball, and let's see if Ryan Tannehill can connect. Alrighty, number 8 here, 2013 week 5, another one against, is that against Antonio Cromarty? Damn, burning these good corners out here, yes sir! Maybe that's not Antonio Cromartie. But either way, it's a nice corner that he's able to get separation from the one-handed catch. Yes, sir. We know he's an elite talent, folks. Nobody's ever questioning that. He's a sure-ballot Hall of Famer. Yes, sir. He's got the speed. He's got the strength. He's got the size. And he's got that great catching radius. One hand, two hand, no hand, blue hand. Y'all know how he does. Let's keep going. Play number seven, 2015, week two, (laughs) right. Matt Ryan from the back of his own end zone, and it's just a nice strike over the middle and another acrobatic catch going above the defender there play number six in the red zone yes sir just throw it up what on one coverage what, what I one coverage what, what are you nuts in the red zone you better double team this man and now in the red zone when you have to cover this Titans team Julio Jones at on one end AJ Brown on the other end Derrick Henry potentially going up the middle Brian Tannehill potentially scrambling throwing out on the run taking it in himself so the red zone on the five on the one on the three inside kind of that five yard line What do you do? What do you do? There's too much to cover. You got to double Julio Jones. You kind of have to double A.J. Brown as well. Somebody has to have eyes on the quarterback. Somebody has to have eyes on the running back. And there's just not enough defenders to keep up. So if this Titans team can get in the red zone like we know they can. Derrick Henry can march to the field himself on two plays. No worries. If they're inside the five, it's guaranteed seven points, folks. Throw it up. Toe tapping Jones. Toe tapping Jones on play number six here folks come on don't disrespect the legend damn Alrighty, play number five once again in the red zone at the... ooh! oh My gosh! On the two-yard line, throwing up the 50-50 ball because once again, you're single covering Julio Jones on the goal line. What are we doing out there? Double this, man. And Matt Ryan puts it up beautifully. And not, not too beautifully. It's alright. It's a little underthrown. Once again, why Julio Jones kind of wanted out of Atlanta a little bit. Matt Ryan just overall wasn't getting it done. Kind of not utilizing Julio Jones full talents. But uh, just the strength of this man. It's Malcolm Butler! Come on! You're going to put single coverage on Julio Jones with Malcolm Butler? It's already guaranteed seven points. So Julio Jones goes up. a Little underthrown ball has to reach over Malcolm Butler and then just aggressively rips it out of Malcolm Butler. Gets the two feet down in that's a touchdown. Once again, at that kind of five-yard line to the goal line, it's unstoppable. It's going to be almost unstoppable to stop this Titans team. Alrighty week 9 in 2011 going deep his first career touchdown and once again the trackability. So we got the speed we got the strength. We got the size We got that kind of great arms to rip balls away from the defender And now we got kind of the, the eyes the eyes that track in the ball Look at this ball just kind of Julio Jones going to the ground these Defenders trying to make a play on the ball Julio Jones is already on the ground keeping his eyes on the ball, and there it is, there it is, just falling into right that kind of hand pocket right before the ball hits the ground, and he's able to track it all the way, so this man's got every single tangible you want, intangible you want, and uh, that's when he started his career, folks, what did we say, week 11, or uh, uh, 2011 week, uh, when was this? Week 9, 2011, his first career touchdown, baby. That's when Julio Jones officially came Julio Jones and put the league on notice, folks. So get it done, young fella. Well, I can't even call him young fella. Oh, a little bit of an old fella there in Tennessee. Fantastic. Alrighty, three more plays to go over. Here we go. Play number three. What do we got? What else are we going to see of Julio Jones? What else does this man have in his Arsenal 2016 NFC Championship game? In the clutch! In the clutch! A nice little slant over the middle. In the speed is a reemergence, folks. Yes, sir. The stiff arm. Ooh! Oh! Pushing down these corners. And another kind of um, unfortunate loss here in the championship game of Aaron Rodgers getting blown out 24 to nothing. Can't stop Julio Jones. And once again, Aaron Rodgers is bouncing the NFC Championship game. Can't get to the Super Bowl. Unfortunate. Look at that, man. The strength. The speed. It's still there. 2015. Week 16. Play number two here. Here we go. Matt Ryan going absolutely deep. And once again, a tad underthrown because it's so deep. And Julio Jones goes over. Is that Luke Keekley He's going over Luke Keekley He's going over Malcolm Butler. He's going over Antonio Cromartie. Some great defensive players. And he's coming away with the ball and the touchdown every single time. And then... Play number one here, the Super Bowl, the sideline, toe-tap, clutch ability here in the fourth quarter. Ooh, the clutch ability. We just saw in the NFC Championship game in the second half going for the touchdown, 70 yards. The toe-tap on the sideline. Yes, they're up, and we all know the abysmal collapse there of that Falcons team, but we know it's you know the offensive play calling in the defense and all that, and it's not Julio Jones can't put the blame on there because second and nine he's going deep they're up 28 to 20 keeping the chains moving keeping you know going down into kind of the opponent's territory and that's julio jones toe tapping sideline catch no look at that full extension folks full extension fantastic Man, man, what an absolute weapon out here. Can he keep it up? We are really hoping so because if he's anything like we just saw here on his top 10 plays of his career, whoo, whoo, whoo. Oh, Titans got to get it done. Matt or Ryan Tannehill, you have to be on your A++ game mode. We believe in you. We know you can do it. Just have to go out and prove it. And Julio Jones will do the rest, folks. Strong, speed, catchability, trackability, clutchability, Hall of Fame talent, rip ability. your number one corner. Okay. Okay. We don't care. Cover me. Try your best. One-on-one coverage. I want to see your one-on-one coverage because I'm blown right by you. So this Titans offense is going to have so many options, um, and it, it may be unfair. It may be unfair. But, Julio Jones needs to stay healthy. Got to just stay healthy. Hopefully he can do that. Alrighty. I think that's all we've got for Julio Jones today. Going to be fantastic. Cannot wait to start seeing him in those kind of videos. Mandatory minicamps coming up. We'll start hopefully getting a lot more video of these practices coming out on the regular. And I want to see what Julio Jones is doing out here. A lot lot to prove. Still looking for that ring. And uh, Julio Jones... Coming at the end of his career, knows he has to win now. So, he's going to put all of what he's got left in the tank in this season at least. Um, And then, you know, if they don't win the Super Bowl this year, we'll see him probably next year going beast mode as well. So, Julio Jones and the Titans, folks, could potentially be a very dangerous offense. All righty. Let's keep moving on here. All righty, mandatory minicaps are scheduled to start, you know, Tuesday for some teams. And that's what we've been kind of tracking on with this Packers team. So we got a little update here with the Packers mandatory minicamp scheduled to start Tuesday. Aaron Rodgers would be eligible to be fined $93,085 for not attending though Green Bay could issue him an excused absence, which also would excuse him from the fines. It is an option the team has discussed. So we know Aaron Rodgers isn't too thrilled to come here. We still don't. Is he even still in Hawaii? He may even still be in Hawaii chilling. We don't know. So tomorrow we'll know a lot more. Is Aaron Rodgers actually going to play for the Packers this year? Is he going to show up? What's the deal with that? So could be fined, but uh, you know if, if they don't find Aaron Rodgers, yeah, you're kind of you know making them happy, but you're also kind of enabling them a little bit. So a very fine line that this Packers team kind of has to walk, and we'll see, we'll know more tomorrow. But, but we get this update. While the status of Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is in doubt for the team's mandatory minicamp this week, it sounds like that will be the only issue to be resolved. His wide receivers who did not show for OTAs including star Devontae Adams are either in town or expected in town. So these are mandatory folks. Nobody else is holding out on this Packers team. Once again, Aaron Rodgers is holding up, holding this team hostage. So this is going to be the big story tomorrow. Does Aaron Roger, show up to these mandatory minicamps. They were voluntary OTAs. That's why he was in Hawaii. But these are mandatory now. You better get your butt here, or you're getting fined. Or maybe we won't find you. We know you're very sensitive, Aaron, and uh, we're trying not to upset you. So. <clears throat> Everybody's ready to rock. Everybody's ready to get better. Everybody. I mean this Packers team back-to-back NFC championship games folks They are right on the door right on the cusp of winning, but Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to show up anymore Once again hurting this team overall holding this team hostage. I mean Aaron, what are you doing? I mean if you're that close to the Super Bowl Don't you just think a little extra work a little extra time is gonna be that kind of boost that kind of small boost to Finally push you over the edge and get you back to the bowl get you back to the big game the Sunday the two-week preparation the two-week narrative while everybody's getting ready for the Super Bowl don't you want to be there and not just uh, writing and talking about the narratives like everybody else is besides Tom Brady because he's there every single year come on Come on, Aaron, stop this. Get there, get your butt to Green Bay, start working out with your team, start getting better, and stop making it all about you, man. It's always it's all it's all about, "Oh, poor me, poor me. I always have no help here. I'm Aaron Rodgers. I'm the greatest. Where's my help? Where's my help?" And what do you think his players are feeling? Yo, your help, your help is here. We we've got your help. We just got you to two NFC champion. What more help do you need? What 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 the help is is you getting your butt here to mentor mini camp so we can start working, so we can start getting it done, implementing the offense, getting better, fixing our mistakes of you not able to convert on three Tom Brady interceptions in the NFC Championship game and not getting it done in the red zone on multiple uh, times. So let's get your butt here and we can start working on those scenarios. Come on. So, we'll know more tomorrow on what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. Does he show up? I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess he doesn't. I'm going to guess he doesn't show up. I'm going to guess that this man is going to be diva on diva on diva. It's all about Jeopardy. It's all about Hawaii. It's all about making the Packers look bad. It's all about, you know, Aaron Rodgers being the greatest of all time in his own mind. And I don't think he shows up. So tomorrow, we'll know more. And I cannot wait. I can't wait for tomorrow. Oof, We may go wild on the show. We may go wild on Aaron Rodgers tomorrow. But we'll see if he shows up. If he shows up, that's fantastic. That's what we're talking about. There's no reason. Just play for the Packers, man. You're there. You're there. You're at the NFC Championship game. I think he wants to get it out of the NFC because he doesn't want to see Tom Brady again. Maybe this is the whole thing. Maybe he's afraid of Tom Brady. I think that's what it is. Aaron Rodgers is scared of Tom Brady. Oh, my God. Tom Brady's in my division now. I got to leave. I got to leave. I'm going to put it all on the Packers. I have my exit card. The Packers have been kind of, you know, not treating me the best here these couple of last seasons. I have my exit strategy. I'm just going to show up. I'm just not going to show up. Um, because I'm actually, I'm actually afraid of Tom Brady. I gotta get to the AFC. I gotta get my butt to the AFC. I cannot go against Tom Brady again. Cause I will lose again. And I will flounder again. Because I am the third greatest quarterback of all time. Not number one, not number two. I'm number three. And I know I can't beat number one. So, uh, I gotta go to the AFC. (laughs) That's what I think, Aaron. I think Aaron is afraid. Aaron Rodgers is afraid to stay in the NFC. That's why he's not going to show up to the Packers uh, mandatory minicamps tomorrow. But you know who is showing up to these mandatory mini camps? Yes, sir. Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, baby. He posts on Instagram a flight that says about that time. Yes, sir. He's ready to work. He's ready to get better. We all know that kind of, you know, that little story of him being a little unhappy in Seattle in the beginning of the offseason. But, you know, like a, a mature person does, he talked it out with the coach. They're all on the same page now. He's there for these mandatory minicamps coming up, and he's ready to rock. Not like Aaron Rodgers, who's afraid of Tom Brady, who doesn't want to actually say what the problem is, and wants to kind of, you know, be a little uh, turtle. Little turtle out there, staying in a shell. I don't say anything outside the shell. I don't tell you what the problem is. You better figure it out. And if you don't, that's not my problem. I'm the turtle. I've got the shell on. I'm the shell. I'm in the shell. I am in the shell. <laughs> uh, so that's not Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's not a turtle. This man's a uh, he's a rabbit. Little Jack Rabbit out there, springy. He's ready to rock. He's ready to get better. Yes, sir. While Aaron Rodgers left in the dust, tortoise in the hair. This story ends differently. The tortoise loses, folks. Slow and steady is not going to win here. Having a shell um, is not going to win here. So. That's uh, Russell Wilson, and I'm gonna. I want to read this tweet. Um, so you know, the main story is that Russell Wilson is gonna be at the uh, the mandatory minicamps. But this kind of once again, this narrative that Russell Wilson is truly unhappy, I think, is a little overblown. Is being dragged a lot further. I mean, we just kind of cut off that narrative. I think a couple of weeks ago when we were reading a Pete Carroll article that said, you know, that entire thing got blown out of proportion. Um, you know, we're good. That was really in the past. You know, we're on the same page now. I understand his frustration. Russell Wilson also understood that, you know, you can't really say anything out in the public because it gets kind of blown up. Once again, why Aaron Rodgers, that's what he does. He always goes to the media. He never keeps anything internal. Russell Wilson keeps everything internal, he let that kind of slight frustration slip that, you know, he was sick of getting hit and wants to kind of, you know, have a better offensive line and all that, um, but then, you know, he took care of a business like an actual real person does, voiced his concerns, talked it out with the coaching staff, and now the kind of narrative is completely gone, and I think that kind of, um, that Russell Wilson is unhappy with the Seahawks, I think is truly in the past, I think that's kind of, it holds zero weight in all of our kind of narratives and kind of our own opinions. Going forward. But this tweet here by Ian Rappaport, uh, you know, kind of makes it bigger than what it is when I think we should be kind of lessening that narrative almost to complete, completely to zero. So let's read this tweet here. Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson is in town and ready to participate in OTAs. After having the skill guys train with him in San Diego, Seattle's leader, Seattle's leader, you don't hear that in Green Bay. You never hear Green Bay's leader, right? Aaron Rodgers, once again. Uh, Seattle's leader will arrive with a lot of those same guys to work with their new offensive coordinator. After a tumultuous offseason, it's time to work. Once again, I don't love the description of that after a tumultuous offseason. Was it that tumultuous? It was a little bump. It was a little little hiccup, little kind of road bump, nothing big. It's a small little speed bump, Not none, none, none that you even notice, one that you can kind of go 35 miles over and still be fine. Not one of those giant ones where if you go one mile an hour, your car is already, you know, flipped up. down because that's how big the speed bump is but you know i i I don't really love that i really think that they're they're good there in seattle i think russell wilson is kind of you know like all right you know i voiced my concern we're on the same page we hashed it out it really it really wasn't nothing burger uh media um kind of blew it out in big proportion that it then more than it actually was and that we're all good here so um like i said only time will tell we'll see you know I don't see Russell Wilson saying anything again in the media because we just saw what happens when you do that, and Pete Carroll said the same thing. So um, I I think the relationship is good. I think they're ready to work. New offensive coordinator, let's get right, unlike unlike Aaron Rodgers, who's staying in Hawaii and will probably become Hawaiian and virtually hosts the show of Jeopardy from Hawaii because that's what he does. All righty, what else do we got here? Next story up. Alright, pretty decent one here. Ravens are signing running back Gus Edwards to a two million or a two-year $10 million extension, locking him to through the 2023 season. Now, this is great. I mean, this Ravens team is still, you know, a nice running offense. We know they had those three great running backs last season. Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram. They lose Mark Ingram, so you know, they're probably not going to have that much of a rushing attack. It's still going to be good, don't get us wrong, and they're still going to have running back by committee, but expect, you know, Lamar Jackson to throw the ball a little bit more. They have those deep threat wide receivers now, but this running game is still going to be a big part of the offense, the read option, um, and Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins have been getting it done. I mean, absolutely. We can, I, I do like J.K. Dobbins a little bit more than Gus Edwards, but Gus Edwards is still freaking productive out here. Three seasons with the Ravens, 700 yards every single season. That's great for kind of a number two running back, especially... You know, when he's been splitting carries his entire kind of career there in Baltimore... And now, you know, bringing in J.K. Dobbins, who just ran for hundred yards last season, um, more carries because Mark Ingram was kind of in that running back rotation as well last season. So these running backs, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, truly deserve to get paid decent money out here. They're a huge part of this kind of Ravens offense. Expect them to get more touches now that it's only kind of a two back, a two kind of uh, running back by committee, unlike last season when it was three running backs, maybe even four with Lamar Jackson. Um, But, yeah, Gus Edwards kind of, you know, definite earned money out here. Solid his entire career. 700 yards. That's real kind of solid yardage, um, especially when you're splitting carries. And uh, so expect this Ravens team to still be decent running the ball, still kind of solid running backs out there. They improved their wide receivers. And Lamar Jackson is just going to have to get it done throwing the ball. But, uh, yeah, uh, nice little extension here for Gus Edwards. Truly deserved two-year, $10 million. All right, the last or the last football story to talk about for today, Cowboys wide receiver Michael Gallup on the Dallas Cowboys offense quote, I don't see anybody stopping us okay okay. you know there's um yeah we'll see you know you still got you know Mike McCarthy as your coach and you know Ezekiel Elliott the running back who didn't step up last year all righty we'll see so let's go on this article there's a lot there's going to be a lot of great offenses this season the Rams with Jared or with um Matt Stafford Uh, The Colts, that's going to be a great offense. The Titans, we just talked about it for 30 minutes, folks. That's going to be a great offense. The Chiefs, the Ravens. I know that's in the AFC, but still in the NFC, you've got the Rams, like we've said. You've got the Bucs defending Super Bowl champions. You have the Giants in your own division. I mean, that offense is fantastic. Be able to kind of keep up with any team. So, and then the defenses, I mean, you know, the Bucs' defense is still great. I mean, their offense is great, but the defense is probably even a little bit better. Same thing with the Rams' defense. The offense is probably very solid, but the defense is a little bit better. So, in um, the Washington football defense, in your own division, once again. So, a lot of kind of, you know, boasting up of themselves here at this Cowboys' offense. Hey, I'm all for, you know, believing and trusting in your ability. I'm all about that. I'm not going to knock that. Uh, so, let's go in this article and see what this man is actually saying. So, joining NFL Network's Good Morning Football on Monday, Gallup said the Cowboys' offense could be unstoppable in 20... Um, Unstoppable, you already have a weakness in the head coach. And you already have a double weakness in having Ben McAdoo in the ear of Mike McCarthy. I mean, that's not good. Uh, To to say it's going to be an unstoppable offense, I mean, you've definitely got the pieces. I mean, I like Dak Prescott. I do believe in him. Amari Cooper's great. CeeDee Lamb's, I mean, we're expecting big things out of year two. And Michael Gallup's a solid third option out there. But let's see what this man's saying. I think this uh, quote I think the sky's is the limit for us we said that last year okay so first of all I mean you, you just lost all credibility right there yeah you said that last year and what happened last year I know Dak went down but do not tell me that Andy Dalton's not a serviceable backup and do not tell me that you know you didn't have the talent there the The only thing that changed was Dak Prescott Andy Dalton steps in for him and then nobody else stepped up so I don't want to hear you know the sky's the limit for us and I know we said this last year but we're going to make excuses for this no 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 you lost all credibility all credibility right there. We said that last year. Well, it didn't happen last year. And you you still should have been explosive or at least won the division. There is no reason why without Dak Prescott, you cannot have won more than seven games. There's no reason for that. But let's see what he's saying here. Um, I think the sky's the limit for us. We said that last year. Obviously, we had some injuries on the team and stuff like that. We're already running out of... we're We're already running out of the gate right now. It's just OTAs. I think we can explode. We can do what we need to do out here on the field and just kill it. I don't see anybody stopping us okay like I just said this is still a tough kind of just the NFC in general is tough your own division is pretty kind of solid now um, the only bad team is maybe the Eagles we'll see how they play but the offensive firepower of the Giants I mean they'll they'll be able to keep up whatever kind of Michael Gallup thinks how explosive this Cowboys offense is going to be and then that Washington defense so even in your own division it's going to be tough Giants offense Washington defensively and then in your own conference of having the Rams Having to battle through the Rams if you make it to the playoffs. Having, you know, to battle over the box. The 49ers defense is going to be great. A lot of injuries. Once again, I mean, Michael Gallup, I mean, look at all those other teams that had injuries. The 49ers, their defense should be back to almost unstoppable. The offense is going to be a little bit of a question mark. But once again, it's going to be the defense of the 49ers versus the offense of this Cowboys team. So, Michael Gallup kind of, you know, putting this kind of Cowboys team in kind of, you know, big kind of stage. Big s- big spotlights under this Cowboys team, and it's going to be tough. And then if, you know, somehow you make it to the Super Bowl, you're going to have to keep up with the Chiefs' offense if it's there and we that decent Chiefs' defense – the Ravens' offense potentially and that good Ravens' defense. They've got some lockdown corners there in Baltimore. Uh, the Titans' offense abilities, the Colts' defense and offense and coaching staff, and literally an all around complete team there. So uh, I don't know if I even put this Cowboys team, you know, just in general in top 10. So Michael Gallup believing in himself. I've got no problem with that. They're hitting their stride, they said, and it's just the OTAs. Obviously, mandatory minicaps coming up and we still have about, you know, ninety plus days until the start of the NFL season, so we'll see. I mean, put up or shut up. We heard it last year. We just heard we just heard it from his mouth right there. We said the same thing last year. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> No more excuses then. Even if Dak Prescott goes down. I don't want to hear it. Uh, you know, figure it out. If these are OTAs and everybody's looking good, you should have no problem with your backup. You should have no problem, you know, relying on Zeke Elliott to kind of carry the load and all that. All right. Anything else here? The key to picking up where they left off is Prescott returning from a devastating injury. By all accounts, the twenty seven year old quarterback is back to normal. Quote. From Michael Gallup again, Dak looks like the same old Dak, ready to get out there, ready to be a leader. I I love Dak. I've got no problem with Dak. Dak's the best person. Dak's the best player on this Cowboys team, hands down. Um, he has just, uh, he just has that little thing to him. Every time you see him, you just want to make sure you're doing everything right for him. He's a great dude on the field and off the field coming out here after his injury, after his contract. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, Jerry Jones never truly respecting him and he's still out there leading this team, not letting it affect his play, um, and all that. So once again, Dak Prescott, solid freaking guy out there, truly. Uh, He's the same old dude Ain't nothing changed about him Except he just wants to play now Props to him Everything he's done He's earned Just an amazing player So yeah definitely We can definitely count on Dak Prescott That's why we still like this Cowboys team a little bit We don't like the defense We don't like any of their coaches Um, We're not the biggest fans of Ezekiel Elliott but really Dak his leadership his on-field capabilities his just kind of presence overall his kind of you know you know great attitude even you know everything's been thrown at him of you know his owner not believing in him with the contract giving the con- the big contract first to the running back the injury still coming back out there um you know the coach switches the offensive coordinator switches all the time he's still you know hey you know I'm out here I'm ready to work I know ain't nothing changed baby the same old Dak let's get it so uh, Dak Prescott's the biggest thing to buy into this Cowboys team, and we'll see how much <clears throat> his leadership is able to kind of affect the overall talent and just ability of this team. But we'll believe in the Cowboys. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll give Mike McCarthy the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if I can truly give Dan Quinn the benefit of the doubt. I'll try, and we'll try to get on kind of board and behind this uh, Cowboys team. But uh, you know, they'll be they'll they'll be judged critically, harshly and fairly um, early on in this in this season. So we're not going to give them a free pass out here. We judge everybody the same, and we'll see uh, how they do. But uh, Michael Gallup, he's a believer in this Cowboys team. So we'll, we'll try to get behind it. All righty, those are all the football stories. So let's head over to some basketball stories. In the first one up, we're getting some numbers out of here of the entire kind of first-round series for Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Unfortunately, they lost Game 7. The home team finally won in that Clippers-Mavs series. But we get what Luka Doncic was doing. So, here we go. The first kind of stats to talk. Um, Luka Doncic by quarters this year in the playoffs. In the first quarter, 85 points on 54% shooting from the field and 48% from the three. So getting out to those hot starts, a huge reason why the Dallas won those first two games and really the three games in total and why they were decently competitive in the series. So Luka Doncic getting out there, getting out to a hot start. Then quarter number two taking a slight step back 71 points in the second quarter on 62% shooting so efficient out there just not as many points and 57% from three so still getting it done in the first half but then we see a huge drop off in the first half to the second half. Third quarter, 54 points scored, 44% shooting from the field, and 32% from three. And then the fourth quarter, only 40 points, 35% shooting from the field, 28% from the three. So, we just see drop-off after drop-off after drop-off after drop-off through the quarters and big drop-offs through the first half to the second half. And why is that? Well, Luka Doncic is the only good player on this Mavericks team. I mean, we can't even buy into poor Zingas. We're going to talk about him in a second as well. Tim Hardaway Jr. has been solid, but never truly getting it done. He has some nice stretches of some solid five, four to five-minute plays, but overall truly not getting it done. And then the bench is lackluster, and then they don't really have any. Uh, Luka's a big, but he doesn't want to play like a big. Boban Marjanovic is good, but he kind of got thrown in this series a little, kind of, I think midway. I don't think he started or even played like heavy minutes the first couple of games. I think the first two games I don't think he played that much. And he hasn't been you know, a huge piece in the regular season anyway. Barely got any playing time. So, yeah, Boban Marjanovic is good, but he didn't have that experience of just kind of in-game scenarios and all that, and he still did solid. He did great last night. I loved what we saw from him last night. It's just relying on Luka Doncic to do everything. Uh, the Clippers defense figuring it out as the game progressed, as the series progressed, and, you know, shutting him down and not letting him score in the fourth quarter, not letting him be efficient in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he got out to some hot starts, but, you know, this Clippers defense able to weather that storm. Kawhi Leonard going and locking up Luka Doncic in kind of you know the late game scenarios to not get those to not get that offense because if it's not Luka Doncic scoring or facilitating the floor that that Mavericks team is absolutely not great so well done for the Clippers. Figuring out what the problem is as the game progressed and shutting it down. And Luca kind of struggling a little bit. He's a great scorer. He's still young, so we're not going to kind of, you know, shit on him too much here. But the clutch ability, got to see him. I know, you know, he's hit some clutch shots already in his career. Last year in the playoffs, he won a game because he hit the buzzer. Uh, He did it this season as well. But just overall in a seven-game series, seeing your numbers dwindle as the game progress, it's definitely not a great sign. And only shooting 35% in the fourth quarter from the field. 28% from the three, that's not going to get it done. So, got to see Luka kind of, you know, take over in the fourth quarter a little bit more. Um, And uh, we'll see what help this Mavericks team gives Luka because he definitely has to have something else to this team. All righty, and then we get this stat here per Elias Sports. The 77 points created by Luka Doncic scoring or assisting are the most ever ever by a player in a Game 7, so man, oh man, and that still wasn't enough, they still lost the Game 7, and he scored or assisted on 77 points, that's amazing, it's fantastic, it's never been done before in a Game 7, folks, I should just tell you how great Luka Doncic is, As a pure talent on the floor, but you need more than one superstar to win, folks. You do not win with one superstar. That never happens. That's why Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, because that was their third. Maybe even kind of 3.5. Draymond Green is good. I don't know if I call him a superstar. Clay and Steph are superstars. And, uh, you know, Draymond Green is definitely up there. But that's why Kevin Durant joined that team already to be that third. That's why we have the three, the big three with the Nets. Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, you need three. That's why they created the big three in Miami. LeBron, D-Wade, Dwayne, or yeah, um, Chris Bosh, that big three there. That's why they were trying to create the big three in um, L.A. And that's why that Cavs team, after LeBron went back, only won one ring and really kind of struggled and had to come back 3-1 because they only had two superstars. LeBron and Kyrie didn't really have that third. So you have to have that three. Uh, superstars to get it done in this league. Luca's only one, maybe even one and a half, but you need that other kind of half as well, and Porzingis is not it and nobody else on this team is close to it, so we'll see what help this man gets he needs some help he needs somebody else Uh, so we'll see what they do in this offseason and speaking of how man oh man here we go Porzingis has been frustrated often feeling more like an afterthought than a co-star and you know that's kind of on him he's a big that doesn't want to play like a big folks he's 7'3 if you don't get your butt down low and start catching these rebounds folks he's never even had like double digit rebounds in his entire career how how you're Seven three. He wants to play the four. He wants to shoot like Kevin Durant. He's tall like Kevin Durant, even taller than Kevin Durant. But he does not have that score ability, that consistent shoot ability, uh, shooting ability, that efficiency. Kevin Durant is one of the most efficient scorers of all time. Chris Porzingis wants to play like that, but that's not your game. You're not as you're not efficient scoring the ball. Um, I think like the last season, like these last two seasons, have been his best scoring seasons, but it's like 20 points, 22 points, which is solid. Don't get us wrong. But then, you know, six rebounds, you know, six, seven rebounds, eight rebounds. It's like, that's not your game. Get down low. I know, you know, he's not a, a, a five, but like Clint Capella, 15 and like 14, 15 points, 14 rebounds. Rudy Gobert, 15 points, like 13, 14 rebounds. So be those players, be that type of player, get it done on the defensive end as well. But, you know, he wants to kind of be an outside shooting big, and that's really not Porzingis' game, and I do understand his frustration a little bit on this Mavs team. You know, they there's really no set place for him. Once again, him not wanting to be the 5, him sliding over the 4, Boban Marjanovic playing the 5, so once again Porzingis, he wants to be this outside shooting, but that's not his game. Luka Doncic, I mean, there's really no um you really rarely ever see like a pick and roll between him and Porzingis. Porzingis, you know, rolling to the basket um you know Luka Doncic never really feeding him too many times down low because that's not where he is you better post somebody up at 7-3 and just get some easy hook shots but he wants to take these outside shots and not be that kind of efficient shooter so he didn't work on the Knicks when he was like the main guy there he his scoring did increase here on this Mavericks team but that's because you know he's the number two option Luka Doncic is just taking all the attention he's able to get some you know nice easy kind of points here and there but never clutch and also his health I mean when has he ever played a full season after you know that injury he tore his ACL I think year 4 then he went to the Mavericks and then he's never really played an entire season then he only played like 42 games this season folks he got injured last year in the playoffs when him you know him being on the floor really kind of was beating that Clippers team they could have beat the Clippers last year in the playoffs but Porzingis was not healthy can't stay healthy is not a reliable efficient outside shooter doesn't want to play down low. So of course you're not going to be a co-star on a team if you're not reliable and if you're not that efficient shooting the ball. So I can understand his frustration is all is that's the only person you talk about on this kind of Mavericks team. It's Luka Doncic. Doncic, Doncic, Doncic. Nobody ever talks about Porzingis, but he kind of does that to himself. Get down low, be that good big, but that's not what he wants to do. So I doubt he's a Maverick next season. I'm pretty sure he's going to be gone, whether he forces it his way out or the team is just like, yeah, I mean, we've tried it. You're not healthy enough. we got to get rid of you. We're moving in a new direction. We're building around Luka, and you're just not in those plans. So I don't see this man being a Maverick next season, and we'll see where he goes. I don't even know where he's going to go, where he's going to thrive, where he's going to flourish, but we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Alright, and then the last story to talk about here. Now we'll uh head over to the NBA from last night and what we got tonight. But uh, you know, we heard that Damian Lillard was like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want uh, you know, Jason Kidd as our new head coach. But then we get this. Lakers assistant, Jason Kidd, has withdrawn his name from consideration for Portland's head coaching vacancy. Kidd tells ESPN, quote. Portland's a first-class organization. It will have great candidates, but I decided not to be one of them. So, real interesting there, Jason Kidd. I mean, that hasn't had you know that great of a coaching career so far. Hasn't really made it work. I mean, he's he's a 500 coach, folks. I mean, that's all he is. Average ish, slightly below average as a head coach, needs great talent to be a great head coach. And that's just to be a good head coach, to be an average head coach, to be a 50 50 head coach, is to have some solid talent. He's worked with um, uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin um, Garnett. He's worked with Giannis and Chris Middleton. Obviously, not the greatest talent, you know, them, the, 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 um, the, the, when he went with the Nets with uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, you know. At, obviously at the end of their careers. Uh, Chris Middleton, never the greatest. Giannis up and coming. So, you know, Jason Kidd has never really kind of thrived there. And, you know, if he's instantly taking him out of, you know, taking himself out of this kind of coaching search of the Blazers, well, there's really only one other. There's only three teams so far that have vacancies. Timberwolves fired their head coach and already got their guy. The Celtics, they have that head coaching vacancy. The Blazers have the head coaching vacancy, but we just said that he does not want to be that. And then the other team is the Orlando Magic. And that Orlando Magic team has absolutely nothing. So maybe Jason Kidd is kind of really focusing on the Celtics job, which seems to probably be the best fit for him. They've got kind of um, two superstars already, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, 500 record right there for Jason Kidd. But I don't like him as a head coach anyway. And then we just look at the field of coaches here. Here's kind of the top 10 head coaches to fill these kind of three vacant uh, shots. We got Chauncey Billups, who, you know, ex-player analyst on ESPN for the NBA. Uh, Never has been a head coach, so maybe he has a leg up over Chauncey Billups just because he has some some coaching experience. You got Mike Brown, who's been a head coach in this league. I, I think I put Mike Brown over Jason Kidd. He's been uh, with the Warriors over the last couple of seasons, learning from, uh, you know, Steph Curry, obviously. But, uh, you know, um, what's their head coach? um Oh, man, I'm blanking. Steve Kerr, there it is. So learning under Steve Kerr for, the like, the, the last five years, that's some solid help out there. So Mike Brown, I think I put him over Jason Kidd. We get Sam Cassell, former player. Darvin Ham, I don't know, probably not. <laughs> I probably put uh, you know Jason Kidd over him. You got Becky Hammond, who's interesting. You know the female assistant head coach under um, Greg Popovich. I don't really see her leaving San Antonio. I really think uh, she's going to be the next Spurs head coach whenever Greg Popovich officially retires, um, which could potentially be this year. I don't know how he's feeling. You know, not making the playoffs these last two years, never that great. Especially, you know, in Greg Popovich's career when, you know, he held the record for, you know, most consecutive playoff appearances. Um, so, I don't know what uh, Greg Popovich is planning on doing. He definitely deserves kind of, you know, the, uh, the well, how do I put it? The um, the one last ride treatment where you announce, hey, I'm retiring at the end of this year. I think, uh, which college coach did that? Um uh, Mike, uh, uh, Coach K, uh, K-, K- Shiv- uh, Mike Shavetsky. Um I've butchered that. I don't know why I'm butchering that name. Uh, Mike, Coach K from Duke, <laughs> he's kind of, you know, on his kind of farewell tour. Hey, I'm announcing at the end, I'm, I'm retiring at the end of next season, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go and coach and have, you know, All the gifts, you know, uh, we see, you know, when you go to a new team, the last time you play that team, they give you, like, a gift and everything like that, and then you just get kind of, you know, loved by the media and all the players. So, you know, Greg Popovich definitely deserves that kind of farewell tour, but I don't know if that's kind of Greg Popovich's style. He kind of seems like, hey, uh, I'm done, and just would kind of, you know, have a random retirement announcement. But I think Beckingham is going to be the next Spurs head coach, so she's probably not going to take one of these three jobs. Uh, Dave Yoger. Yogur, um, he's been coaching in the G League, in the CBA, the IBA. Uh, he joined the Memphis Grizzlies as an assistant in 2007 and 2011. And he was head coach of the Grizzlies from 2013 to 2016, making the playoffs all three years before getting fired. So, you know, solid there, coaching history, getting to the playoffs. Then we have Jason Kidd, we have Lloyd Pierce, we have Ime uh, Uduko, uh Wes Unsel Jr., so, uh, you know, three head coaching vacancies, Mike Brown, Chauncey Billups, potentially Jason Kidd out here, but Jason Kidd doesn't want to be on the Blazers, so we'll see where Jason Kidd goes. I'm not the biggest Jason Kidd fan as a head coach, but we'll see. So, <clears throat> he doesn't want to be a Portland head coach, which is kind of interesting, not wanting to coach Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard's kind of a point guard. Jason Kidd was a point guard. That's real interesting that Jason Kidd is truly staying away from and actively taking his name out of the Portland uh, situation. So maybe he just thinks, you know, Damian Lillard's not going to be there next year. So he's like, all right, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to do that. And that would make a lot more sense. But we'll see. We'll keep a track on uh, how these hires vacancies go and where Jason Kidd lands. All righty. That is all the stories that we needed to cover for today. Let's head over to the NBA. Let's break down the two playoff games from last night. And let's get our moneymaker rocking and roaring for today's action. So here we go. First game up. Yes, sir. Hawks in the 76ers. We had the Hawks plus four and a half points. They went outright, Basically controlled the entire game. Fourth quarter got a little wonky. 76ers started to come back. A lot of turnovers by the Hawks. But at the end of the day, the Hawks were still able to close out. So, I mean, we kind of called this, we kind of re-switched our thinking to the Hawks over the 76ers um, when we just kind of, you know, re-kind of reset um, the NBA playoffs after the first round. We love this Hawks matchup over the 76ers. They have that outside shooting to keep pace with the 76ers, and that's exactly what we saw last night. Now, the... 76ers did have Joel Embiid. He played 38 minutes. He was looking good. He was looking fresh out there. So, you know, the, his health isn't that much of a concern so far for us, but we still like like this Hawks ability to score uh by everybody on this team. So, let's start with this Hawks team. Trey Young, 35 points, 10 assists, um, 2 rebounds. He shot 4 of 11 from 3, getting out to that hot star offensively. It was fantastic. Bogdan Bogdanovich hitting kind of the icy game kind of sealer in the fourth quarter when everything was going wrong He was making all the plays to make it go right again So once again, we Praise Bogdan Bogdanovich all the time. Bogdan Bogdanovich, Bohan Bogdanovich, um, Tobias Harris, and Joe Harris. Those are the four players that we just kind of love in this league that are always so freaking consistent. Even though they're surrounded by great talent, they are still able to get there. So Bogdan Bogdanovich, 21 points, 5 assists, 4 rebounds, 5 of 12 from 3, icing the game. You'll love to see it. Clint Capella down low, not too bad. 11 points, 10 rebounds, solid work out there. John Collins has been huge for this team ever since he's got back, so shout out to him. 21 points, 2 steals, 2 assists, 4 rebounds, 3 of 4 from the 3, and 7 of 9 from the field, so efficient as all heck last night. And then Solomon Hill getting back into the uh, starting lineup here. 6 points, 3 rebounds, not the best game, but this is you know his first game back, so only played 24 minutes as well. He shot 2 of 7 from the 3, nothing great there. But the bench, yes, sir. We get to Neil Gallinari, nine points in 17 minutes. Kevin Herter now on the bench now, 15 points, four assists, five rebounds. He played 28 minutes. So we'll see if his minutes kind of dwindle or keep, you know, at this nice pace, just kind of, you know, splitting between that three, that three position between Solomon Hill and Kevin Herter. But Kevin Herter still getting it done off the bench. You love to see it. Lou Williams, eight points, two rebounds, uh, three of six from the field, two of four from the three. So there's just that score ability that this Hawks team has, and they kind of carry it over from the next series. And they're here in Philadelphia winning game one on the road. You love to see it. So huge promise here, huge upside here for this Hawks team. I saw nothing but green flags. Maybe the only red flag came in the fourth quarter where we, start to, we, where we started to see them kind of lose that big lead that they kind of accumulated the entire year game Um, a lot of turnovers a lot of kind of bad calls um, also but I'm still big on this Hawks team and I really think our official prediction is Hawks in six over to the 76ers team and uh, with Joel Embiid out there they still couldn't even win this game so This is huge. This is huge for the Hawks. And now let's talk about this 76ers team. Uh, Ben Simmons at the 1. Curry at the 2. Danny Green at the 3. Tobias Harris at the 4. Joel Embiid at the 5. Kind of their classic lineup. Joel Embiid did play 38 minutes and is good to go. So Ben Simmons, 17 points, 10 assists, 4 rebounds. He shot 100%, 7 shots, hit them all. But those free throws, man, oh, man. Him and Giannis, please get it together. We are in the playoffs. What are we doing floundering this bad from the free throw line? You can't get it together in the playoffs at the free throw line? Come on. Uh, 3 of 10 from the line, folks. What the heck is that? Truly killing this team here. But... You know, he's not a shooter. So, I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, So, Ben Simmons is definitely going to have to step up those free throws. Seth Curry, 21 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, 5 of 9 from 3. Solid work there. Once again, the score ability of Seth Curry. He's putting up those shots to put up those points. That's what we need to see here. Joel Embiid, 39 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, played decently, got to the line 15 times, hit 14 of them, shot uh, 57% from the field. We'll take it. Tobias Harris, always reliable as well, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, he shot 1 of 4 from the 3, but the 61% on 13 shots, will take that all day, now Danny Green, come on, come on, that's what we're talking about, we can rely on 1 through 5 scoring of the Hawks, where the 76ers, we can rely on like 3 guys, Ben Simmons, he's only scores when he goes down low, and you know, he doesn't have that outside shot, so we can't truly rely on him for a lot of points every single game he's usually consistent with at least 10 or more so we respect it but Seth Curry can hit the outside shot, Joel LeBee can hit the outside shot and uh, score down low Tobias Harris the same thing Uh, But we can't count on Danny Green to score the ball four points last night. He didn't even like, I think he only took like one shot the entire like either. It was either first quarter or first half. But once again, you have to score. You can't just be defense. You cannot just be defense. It does not work. We need to put up points here. And Danny Green, yes, he's a great defender. Uh, Great, good. Well, I, I'll let you take your pick there. But he's a good defender out here. But you need to sc- start being more aggressive with the ball. Only four points. He took seven shots, hit zero three, 0 of four from the three. 28% on seven shots from the field, but we need him to score the ball You need to be a threat scoring whenever you are on the floor if you have to choose between offense or defense You must be offense. Yes, you need to still be a good defender out here But you you need to put up points and Danny Green does not do that And he's definitely hurting the 76ers team be more aggressive take those shots believe in your three-point ability Hit the threes be they the outside shooter stretch the floor so everybody else so Ben Simmons 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 can get down. Clear looks down low. Seth Curry needs to stretch the floor like he does. Five of nine from three. Joel Embiid stretches the floor himself. Um, He can hit the three. Tobias Harris can hit the three as well. But Danny Green not hitting the three. All right, we're going to sag off. We're just going to clog the paint, making it harder for Embiid to get, get it done down low, to make it harder for Ben Simmons to score down low, where that's the only place he can score on the floor. I mean, folks, we just saw it right here. 3 of 10 from the 3. If it's inside the free throw line, he can score. If it's anything outside the free throw line, the man is going to brick it. So Danny Green is doing his team a disservice. A disservice. Maybe you even bring him off, off the bench in this series. We saw Doc Rivers, you know play around with the starting lineups, um, putting Ben Simmons at the five as soon as Joel Embiid went down, not taking any time. So I, it would not surprise me if Danny Green is not in the starting roster. May you, maybe you put Tyrese Maxey in there at the five or at the three. Maybe you put Matisse Thybulle there at the three. But you need offensibility, and Danny Green does not have it consistently for the 76ers team hurting his team overall. All right, off the bench, Matisse Diabiole, 10 points, 1 block, 1 steal, 1 assist, 1 rebound. 2 of 4 from the 3, 4 of 6 from the field overall, and that's only in 18 minutes. Put that man at the 3. Danny Green playing 30 minutes out there. Not great. Tyrese Maxey, 6 points on 8 shots, not too efficient. Two rebounds. George Hill only playing 10 minutes, two shots, uh, zero points. And Dwight Howard only playing eight minutes. I thought he would play a little bit more, but uh, that was kind of our thinking that Joel Embiid may not be 100%. But, you know, he's looking good out there. He was looking good, folks. He played very, very well. So I don't think Joel Embiid's health is going to be an issue in this series, but we need to see Danny Green step it up, man. Truly. I put Shake Milton. Put Shake Milton at the three. Put. uh, Put Seth Curry at the 1, Shake Milton at the 2, Simmons at the 3, Tobias Harris at the 4, Joel Embiid at the 5. That's how you do it. But Danny Green cannot be in the starting lineup for the series. I'm over it. Alrighty, and then the last game, the Game 7. What is it? Oh, okay, that's Porzingis. Okay, um, yeah, per, um, Clippers here, winning Game 7 here. Uh, we took the Mavericks plus 6.5. We were just living and dying by the points there. We didn't know how this series. Uh, we couldn't even get kind of a firm grasp on what was going on in the series, and we didn't know what was going to happen in Game 7. So we just took the points, and unfortunately, we died by the points. Uh, it was 6.5 there by the Mavericks and they lose by 15 Clippers winning 126 111 in game seven clutch way well, well done I mean they could not they they franchise the fan base the players here the coaching staff the owners uh, they could not afford a round one loss over the Mavericks so well done for this Clippers team of pulling it out so let's see who got it done Kawhi Leonard, 28 points, 9 assists, 10 rebounds, 4 steals. He shot 66% from the field. That's what we're talking about. Marcus Morris also stepped up big time here. 23 points on 7 of 9 from 3. That's what we're talking about, baby. Get it done. Uh, Nicholas Batum playing the 5 here. No Zubak in the starting lineup, at least. Uh, Nicholas Batum at the 5, 11 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists. He was a plus 5 on the floor, so decent work out there. Paul George, 22 points, 10 assists, 6 rebounds. He wasn't efficient, 2 of 8 from the 3, 33% from 15 shots, but he got to the line 10 times. That's where the bulk of his points came from. And then Reggie Jackson, a solid workout here as well at the 1. 15 points, only 1 assist, not the greatest. 1 rebound, but 3 of 8 from the 3. He put up 40% on 10 shots, but those 15 points, that's what we needed. And everybody in that starting lineup got it done offensively, so that's what we're talking about. And then Terrence Mann, yes, sir. A huge piece here for this uh, bench. 13 points, 5 rebounds on 50% shooting, and he shot 2 of 3 from the 3. Luke Kennard getting quality minutes off the bench as well. 11 points on uh, six shots. That's what we're talking about in only 14 minutes. So the bench truly coming through big here. Kawhi Leonard doing his thing and Marcus Morris were really the key reasons why this uh, Clippers team won. Now, let's go to this Mavericks team. Luka Doncic, 46 points, folks. 46 big old points. He front-loaded those points. I think he put up like 20 points in the first quarter alone. But like we just said, I mean, we read the stat, you know, getting lower every single quarter, getting kind of clamped down as the game progressed. Now, he had 46 points and 14 assists and 7 rebounds. Great game overall. 5 of 11 from the 3. 56% shooting on 30 shots. Really solid work out there. Just unfortunate. Nobody else could really get it done. Tim Hardaway Jr., 11 points, but one of nine from three. Not clutch. And Tim Hardaway Jr. truly letting us down last night. Boban Marjanovic at the five, 14 points, 10 rebounds. He was only a minus one on the floor. That's what we're talking about. Love it. Love Boban out there. Porzingis 16 points, 11 rebounds, 005 from the 3. Once again not going down low, trying to be that outside shooter and in the clutch game 7, he couldn't be clutch. So, unfortunate there. Dorian Finney Smith, 18 points, 10 rebounds. Really solid work out there. Four of seven from three, 53% overall, a plus one on the floor. But unfortunately, come up short. Uh, nobody else could really be lethal or efficient or effective or hit those big time shots in the second half. And the Mavericks end up losing. Off the bench, nothing good. Barely anybody even played off the bench. Nobody played more than 10 minutes. And that was Jalen Brunson, who only put up two points but really just rocking with the Stars the entire time. And, hey, I'm all about that. Same thing with the Clippers. Really just kind of getting it done in the starting lineup. Terrence Mann did play 26 minutes. Luke Kennard played 14 minutes. Way more than anybody else played on that Mavericks bench, but just nobody was scoring there. So, playoff P – Playoff P has transitioned officially from uh, Paul George to Chris Kristaps Porzingis. Porzingis is the new playoff P, truly floundering here. 0 of 5 from the three, not being efficient. Hey, if you don't want to be a co-star, then don't act like a garbage player. I mean, he was the third leading scorer on this team, potentially the fourth. Dorian Finney-Smith with more points, Boban Marjanovic with only two less points. So, Porzingis, if you don't want to be the kind of you know after th- afterthought, and you really want to kind of be, you know, the co-star or star two, whatever you want to phrase it at, then be better. Be better in the big games. In game seven, see your Luka got his, his thing going, 46 points. Where was your 46 points, huh? Huh? You had 12 shots. Be efficient. You had five threes. That's 15 extra points if you had all five. What's up? What's up? But you didn't. So, um... Playoff P has officially transferred. Uh, Paul George still, you know, not the greatest out here. Like we said, wasn't efficient, uh, 25% from the three, 33% from the field. Um, third leading scorer for the squad. But I'll give him a little, bit, a little bit of a break. He was a plus 10 on the floor, so decent defense. Alrighty, righty, so that was the playoffs of basketball last night. Let's see what we've got on tap today and get our money maker going. So two games on, we got Bucks Nets. Game two, cannot wait. Gotta see Giannis play a lot better, a lot more minutes, and let's see if this outside shooting of the Bucs can kind of get going. Um, and then the Nuggets and the Suns. I mean, we talked about it yesterday on the show. Jokic versus uh, DeAndre Ayton. Jokic saying, you know, DeAndre Ayton's kind of, you know, the hardest big I've gone against this entire year. So we'll see how this series is going to play out. How's Chris Paul looking? Is he still looking healthy? Is he not healthy? We'll t- keep an eye on that. And let's see how Monte Morris and Facundo Capazzo can keep up um, with this Suns. uh, uh potentially Chris Paul if he's out there, and let's see how these uh, point guards for the Nuggets can kind of keep it going. We haven't really seen any hiccups without Jamal Murray because of Facundo Capazzo and Monte Morris, but let's see what we get. All righty, let's refresh these lines, get these lines up to date, and see what we're rocking with here. All righty, wow, wow, wow. Here we go. Bucks nets is a pick em, folks. Wow, wow, no points, pick em. Whoever wins, that's who wins. Alrighty, let's see the ins and out here for the Bucks. Dante DiVincenzo is the only one out for the Bucks. And then for the Nets, Jeff Green is still out. James Harden is out, and that is it. So kind of exactly what we saw in game number one. Everybody's there. Everybody's gonna be playing. So Bucks Nets, what did we not like from the Bucks in game one? Giannis not able to get down low. Giannis not playing that many minutes. He was not playing. He played like 36 minutes. Kevin Durant played like 44. Kyrie played 42. There was no reason for Giannis not to play at least 40 minutes out there. The outside shooting of the Bucks was absolutely abysmal as well. I liked P.J. Tucker in the starting lineup. Um, hit on Kevin Durant. Didn't really make that much of an impact. Um, but... We'll see. Bryn Forbes needs to be on his kind of firepower. That's kind of what was big against that Heat series. Bryn Forbes just coming hot as heck out there. So, I, you know, I would maybe put Bryn Forbes back in the starting lineup. We'll see what they do here if P.J. Tucker, you know, comes off the bench or is back in the starting lineup. What do we like uh, about the Nats in game one? Well, obviously, the outside shooting is always fantastic. Uh, Blake Griffin playing out of his mind. Is he going to be able to keep that up? That is something to be kind of questioned here. But Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant—they'll put up the points. We're not worried about that. It's just can the Bucks keep pace outside shooting-wise, and that's the big question mark here. So I'm gonna take the Nets here. I want to root for this Bucks team. We have the Bucks overall, but we need to see them before we start betting them. And if it's just a pick, I'm here. I'm getting no points, no safety net with this Bucks team. I can't count on Giannis, man. We haven't really seen him get it done in the playoffs. Uh, Mike Butenhauser the head coach, he's got to do something better. The lineups, the rotations, I did not like overall during the course of the game. So... I don't want to root for the Nets. I'm going to take the Nets here tonight. It's a pick The outside shooting of the Bucs was absolutely abysmal. We'll see if it's better tonight, and we'll see if Giannis can get cracking down low more. So, But I'm going to take the Nets here. We'll see how the Bucs do, and we'll see if we have to retool our thinking once the Bucs go back home for Game 3. But uh, we got to take the Nets here. Pick-em game. We can rely on the outside shooting at least. Alrighty, and then we get the... Suns and the Nuggets. Nuggets plus five. Suns minus five for game one here. Alrighty. For the Nuggets, Will Barton and PJ Dozier are still out. Come on. Come on. Let me see if we get any any update here. I doubt it. Here we go. Will Barton is ruled out. Yep. yep. Okay. How unfortunate. We need those players to come in at some point here in this playoffs uh, playoff run. We need this Nuggets bench to be a little bit more deeper. And then for the Suns, uh, everybody's pretty much good to go here. Abdel Nader is even a uh, game-time decision. So we'll see if he's back as well. So the Suns kind of having their bench. Um Chris Paul, we'll see what he's like. But, you know, we saw him, you know, at the end of that uh, Lakers series. He was looking fine. Devin Booker is going to be on his bullshit. DeAndre Infer's Jokic is going to be an absolutely great matchup. Jay Crowder helping down low and stretching the floor. That's going to be big as well. We'll see how Aaron Gordon does on him. We, don't, we, know, we know Aaron Gordon isn't the best outside shooter and doesn't really put up that many points. And now kind of getting guarded by Jay Crowder. And we'll kind of see how these fours play here. But Michael Porter Jr., Jokic, Monte Morris, Facando Capazzo, we're going to need their scoreability to get it done, and they've been proving it. I mean, they went toe-to-toe with the Blazers, and the Blazers have good offense. We know the Suns team has pretty solid offense as well. But at the end of the day, the Nuggets one in six, folks. Got it done. Took care of business, even though the scorability of the Blazers is high. The Suns' scoreability is also high. So I'm going to take the five points here with this Nuggets team. Let's see how game one goes. But we can count on the Nuggets to keep up pace scoring wise we saw it in that Blazers series we can kind of expect it to happen in the Suns series as well that's what the Lakers couldn't do that's why the Lakers were losing every single game every single se- uh, the series here against the Suns getting blown out early because the Lakers could not uh, match the scoring output by the Suns this Nuggets team can folks they can do it so I'm gonna say this game is close and potentially the Nuggets win it as well we'll take those five points So that's our moneymaker for tonight. We're taking the nuts, pick them, and uh, we're going to take the Nuggets plus five points. Alrighty, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Let's see if anything has been breaking. What do we have? Anything? Huh, huh, huh. Anything good? Does not seem so. Does not seem so. So... We'll see what we get here, folks. Actually, hang on. I forgot a segment. I forgot a segment, folks. I, we were going to do. So, now that... Um, all right. Yeah. So, yeah. We, we got probably another kind of couple of minutes here. So, now that we know that Julio Jones is officially out of Atlanta, we know their cap space has increased to $15 million now. They've got some money to spend. So, what... Are they going to be spending that on? We've got free agents in the league, folks. Still some kind of talent to acquire. So what are the Falcons going to be after? So let's see the top 100 available 2021 free agents as of, uh, I think this was last updated June 5th, and there has been no signing. So um, here we go. What are the Falcons going to be looking for? We think it's going to be a running back. Uh, we know their defense definitely needs to be shored up a little bit as well. There's really nothing great on that defense. So let's see who's available to spend for these $15 million that they have. All righty. We got Morgan Moses, offensive tackle. I don't think they're going to be shoring up the line. It's either going to be running back or defense. Uh, we got Sheldon Richardson, great defensive lineman, and can kind of tandem with uh, They got uh, Dante Fowler solid work out there. Um, So potentially getting Sheldon Richardson, building up that defensive line and uh, trying to get after the quarterback. So Sheldon Richardson, we get Steven Nelson, a nice cornerback for this um, Atlanta team. They've got one solid one. I am a decent fan of um, AJ Terrell. Kendall Sheffield, though. I mean, that's I don't think I don't think that's anything great. So if they want a corner, there's one in free agency. We got Melvin Ingram, nice edge rusher. We got Richard Sherman still solid, solid. We'll see where he goes. Justin Houston, another another edge rusher. We got KJ Wright, a solid linebacker. Olivier Vernon, a nice edge rusher. We got Le'Veon Bell, a running back. That's who we think they're gonna spend the money on, but we'll see. Uh, Darquez Denard, another corner Geno Atkins, the defensive lineman Todd Gurley, well he just came from Atlanta So I don't think they're going to be bringing him back We got Everson Griffin, nice edge rusher as well Kenny Stills, a nice wide receiver I don't think that's going to be the route they're going to be going on Nikhil Roby-Coleman, a solid corner out there Golden Tate, Larry Fitzgerald, Dan- Danny Amendola Once again, not really anything great there I mean, like wide receiver wise, they're not gonna go after a wide receiver. They're solid talent there. Uh, what else do we get? Anything else? Prince of Mukamara, he's thirty-two. Vic Beasley, a nice edge rusher. Anything else? We're now in the sixties. However, they ranked these uh, kind of top free agents. What else do we get? Michael Kendricks and solid linebacker. Dre Kirkpatrick, corner. Bruce Irvin and edge rusher, he's thirty three. And that's really it. So, I would, I, um, I we'll see what the Falcons do, but they've got money to spend now and expect them to maybe fill their defense or their running back position. Maybe they can get two players, three solid, decent free agents still. But, uh, yeah, expect the Falcons to uh, go and spend that money that they just acquired. All right, now that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And we're back tomorrow live, noon Eastern, doing it all again. So, uh, we'll see you tomorrow, folks.